want to hear your feedback about what I want you to talk back to me about what you thought of last night for those of the, those of you that were there. And I'm not trying to ask you to compliment me or talk to me about what, well, if you want to talk to me about what a good job I did, that's great. But I don't want to hear if I did a bad job, um, just to be honest with you. <clears throat> what are your thoughts on that, on what we did last night? Come on. Nobody knew there was going to be a test, did you? I mean, is, is, it, is it worthwhile to do, to do things like that? Yeah, I haven't talked a lot about that, but I thought it's time to think about letting everybody know. And I'll show it again tonight for those that weren't there. Other thoughts? That's the reality is, and, and I'm, I'm glad you say that because of the, I think there was, I think we figured there was 10 people there that weren't our regular folks. We were, it was about 50-50, I think, somewhere, somewhere around that breakdown. But if none of them ever come into this church, it's not, still not about this church. It's about the kingdom. And I think that's what you're pointing out. <clears throat> I think it's important for things... My hope is, ultimately, that Amy's not the only one that was spoken to out of that. I think Jackson even shared, with, shared something with the band tonight um, that he gained out of it. Not necessarily for me, but something that happened during the time and, and uh, that spoke to him. So there's all kind of results. The reason I want to do this is that there's really all kind of things we can look at that I, I may always struggle with this. I'm going to use this as an illustration, but because of the culture we come out of, we come out of this this culture that grows churches, and the idea behind growing churches is <coughs> gaining numbers. And I don't think you can throw away the numbers. I don't think you can get rid of the the ideas that numbers of people respond and the, that growth in numbers isn't some gauge of what you're doing, but it can't be the only gauge. And I think that there were successes last night, whether we see any of them come to this church or not. Um, I don't know how connected all of them are to church, but if they are, hopefully they'll bring some idea of that back and they'll be able to look and say, you know, we do need to be on mission. We do need to be moving. Um, but uh, that could be more for the kingdom than it is for this church. I don't want to lose sight of 
what we need to do as a church, but I do want us always to remember that it's not so much about how many people we can stuff in a room. Uh, although, like I said last night, if there was 2,000 people I could preach in front of, man, that just excites me. I don't know what it is about that. But that's not the first and foremost thing. Um, but we will do some more of those things and with the same intent. Uh, but I want you guys to realize the value in it because, honestly, it was your money that, that paid to do that. And I think we probably spent, by the time we paid to rent that place, and, and maybe we won't always have to rent a place like that, but by the time we did all that and got the place together, we spent around probably $500 or something like that, I'm guessing, uh, by the time the food was bought. I hadn't seen all the totals on it yet, but it's going to be right around there. And so I, want, I just want you to know that we're not doing this to just be frivolous and, hey, let's just get our name out there. We're not just marketing and advertising, uh, although that's what it does. But it gives us an opportunity to market and advertise in a very controlled way. We're not just, you know, a commercial's one thing on, on a radio. That's 30 seconds. Well, we got to spend an hour with some people last night and really share what we need to be about or what we want to be about. So I think there's great value in it. Um, we don't reach as many people as fast, but it's still, uh, I think, very valuable. So that being said, based on what we talked about last night, based on what we've talked about the last several weeks, I felt convicted. I felt, no, not convicted, that's the wrong word, but... I just felt like we needed to move one step further. And so I'm going to kind of break down what we talked about last night. I'm going to talk about kind of the strategies and methods of how we get to where we need to go. Um, so, Cameron, why don't you just go ahead and bring up that first slide. Now, as I shared last night, this doesn't look nearly as good on this wall as it did last night. Um, but uh, that's a map of Springfield, and, and what I talked about and what I made this picture for was to really just present a model uh, and try to put a picture in people's heads of what we're looking to do. The typical way that churches are grown today is really just the, the single church. It's just that, that, middle, that middle circle planted somewhere in a city, and everything happens in that building. People go to that church, and... and all the relationship building, all the, all the preaching, all the worship, everything's about, about the church and about that central focus. And, and what I'd like to see us do is build this church, but not focus on a place or an event that happens at a particular time of day, but try to break outside of that mold. And that's where we begin to put home groups around the city. And so in this first year, I hope that we will be able to build three. That's going to require people to step up, open their homes. That's going to require people to step up and lead. Um, but the reality is, it, if we're going to have the impact that we're going to that, that we're going to be able to have, that's just what we're going to have to do. Because as soon as we begin to make a difference and, and people are being engaged and we're seeing God save people, then the reality is is that we're going to have to disciple them because there's a huge responsibility. There's one thing to see a person come to Christ. It's an amazing event. I've been present for, for, for it, and, it, and it blows you away. But to, to see that happen, there's responsibility that comes with it as well. You know, it's important that they become discipled and taught and, <clears throat> and trained. It'd be the same as a, a mom having a baby and then just walking off. 
You know, I mean, the reality is, is that there's a responsibility that comes with it, and that's the biblical model. So, anyway, as this begins to grow and begins to take off, and I don't know, I, you know, I've got a, I've got a picture in my mind. This is probably, all of this is probably really like a 10 or 15 year plan that eventually we'll see our church growing to the point that there's numerous home groups, and then pretty soon one of those home groups begins to, begins to just really. The leadership in that home group just rises to the top, and you begin to see that, that these guys are called to, to do more than just be a home group. And so that you separate off the, the, the church or the home group, and you make a church plant out of them, and you make them a focal center. That way, what happens is, rather than growing just a big church and constantly fighting the battle of building a bigger building, finding parking and doing all this, you can centralize and localize your churches in cultures and contexts that they can speak directly to. Because the reality is that church on the southwest side of town is different than church on the northeast side of town. And it's different people. They, they act different. They live different. They talk different. And it's just in Springfield, but the reality is it's true. I mean, you're going to go into the central part of town and, and, and be attractional, and I, I use that word very carefully, but you're going to go into that area of town and you're going to have to approach the people in that area of town differently than you will people on the southwest side of town or the southeast side of town. It's just the reality of who people are. And so the subcultures, it, it, it will give us great flexibility and, and it will give us an opportunity to speak. Well, then on top of that, ultimately, my hope is, is that, well, it's not my hope. It's going to be strategically planned and God will just have to make it work. But one of the things I think that we tend to do as churches is we... We draw back from the culture. We draw back from um, our communities. And our idea of missions is, okay, let's get on a plane and go overseas and go somewhere. But the reality is, is we get to be missionaries every day. And so what, what we're doing here ultimately is we're not, I, I'm not calling you to step out of your churches to start another church and be divisive. I'm, I'm calling you to step out of churches and come on mission. Be a missionary. And that's what this is about. It took me a long time to be able to define that and be able to understand it because, unfortunately, for better or worse, a lot of the things that were being worked in me were things that, well, this just isn't... It's missing. This needs to be in church. It's this... Yeah, we could do this different. We, we, we could approach a totally different people group in this way. And, and what I began to realize is that I'm seeing these negatives. And, and over the last couple of months, God's spoken to me in a positive way that says, Seth, I'm not called you to do church different because they've done it wrong. I've called you to be on mission to reach these people that I want to reach. And so that's what I'm asking you to join me in. I'm not asking you to join me in this, in this divisive new church that stands and points their fingers at all the other churches in town and says, you got it all wrong, and we're doing it right. Although that's probably, we'll be doing it right. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But I'm not, I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to step up and be on mission and be a missionary with me right here in, right, right here in this place where we live. Because <laughs> if we're not going to do it, I mean, I, I shared this statistic with you last night. We're the fifth largest mission field in the world. There's a lot of countries in the world. And we're the fifth largest. I'm glad that there's people willing to come over here and speak to our lost people about Jesus Christ. But I sure wish that we would do it. I think we need to be doing it. The, the, the richest of all churches in all the world, the American church, we have more 
more uh, resources. We have more opportunity than any church in every other part of the world. And we're doing some great things around the world. But we're forgetting our own people. And as we forget our own people, they're able to point, our fa- point their fingers at us and we leave a, a door wide open. You know, I don't like that people point at Christians and say, I love Jesus, but I hate Christians. I, I hate that argument. I hate that statement. But there's some of us, and maybe, not, maybe, maybe they're not all Christians. Maybe they're just people who profess to be Christians. You know, I, I, I don't know. But I think we ought to do our part to make sure people aren't able to say that. That we're loving people. That we're meeting them where they're at. We're, we're going to homeless people and saying, you know what? We can help you learn a, a new trade. I don't know how that's going to work right now. I don't, I, don't, I don't know all the ins and outs and the legalities of that. But we'll learn when it's time. I don't know how we'll do youth centers because I can't imagine what, what, what that will entail. I don't, I don't know exactly how we'll do medical clinics But this is what I know. What you saw Jesus do and what we've learned about over and over and over in John is Jesus went into their culture, He went into their context right where they were at, and He spoke truth in the midst of their needs. He met them where they were. Sometimes, you know, He spoke to the woman at the well. Well, He didn't meet her need. But He went right up to a paralyzed man who had been paralyzed for, for, for 38 years and says, do you want to get well? That's his first, that was the first thing he said to him. He didn't say, you want to get saved. He didn't say, hey, this is how you can go to heaven. He says, do you want to be well? Now, the reality is he was probably speaking more about being well, spiritually. But we can't miss that. We've got to meet that need. And so I think that down the road, that's something we need to investigate. I think it's something that will make the difference. Because what that does is that brings the gospel front and center to, to, to a war that, that it's ultimately going to be won, but a war that doesn't stop. But ultimately, we don't stop looking at planting churches because as I shared with you last night, as I'll share a little bit about again tonight, planting churches is being seen to be the most effective method of evangelism. Not that you leave out personal evangelism. Not that you don't go and talk to your friends and talk to your neighbors and talk to people on the street or or wherever you're at, and look for opportunities to speak about Jesus. You still have to do personal evangelism. We are all called to that. But when you bunch together all the methods of evangelism and you put them in a church plant that starts in a culture and in the midst of a context that that it's able to be very flexible and speak directly to, you see great results. In fact, I shared the statistics with you last night. I'll share them again here in a minute. But that's where we're going. That's where we're headed. And I wanted to share it again because I'm going to bounce off of that tonight for, where we're, for, for, for the message tonight. Because ultimately, as I've sat and thought and as I've talked and as, as, as I've prayed about this, and, and I even shared this last week, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. I just want to drive the straight line and be there. You know, Mom and Cameron and Tristan drove to Florida. And for me, I get in a car and I'm done. I want to be at the other end. And that's kind of how I've done this. And, and I've realized that that's not necessarily the best way, but, but that doesn't mean that we can just stop. And as I've thought about this, I've thought about static friction. You know about, do you know what static friction is? Static friction is that friction that if something's sitting still, even if it were on a slope, there's friction. There's, 
there's a force between those two things that keep it from just moving. Now, if it was on a slope, it might illustrate a little better. But there's still that static friction. And actually, to make this thing move, move forward, I have to apply more force to move it forward than once it gets going. So there's a lot of force, well, a lot of force and a little force. It takes a lot of force to get it going. This thing's driving me nuts. It takes a lot of force to get it going, to, to make the chair move, to make the chair slide. Once it gets moving, it requires less effort. And I think, and as I've thought about that, that's where we're at. We're at this place where we're having to do a lot of extra... Uh, uh, no, I don't want to say extra. It's a very important work. We're, we're having to do a lot of work and, and expend a lot of effort to overcome a static force. But what does it take from, uh, for, for us to get from that place where, where we're one, one little church plant with three home groups to this? And then there's this picture that, that, that I've seen that, that makes me think about it. What does it take for us to get from, from, from this... On the road, knowing where we're headed, seeing the seeing the, the in the distance where we're supposed to be going, to this, to where we're moving, to where we're we're seeing it happen. That's where the strategies, that's where the strategic methods come in. That's where the things begin. We begin to look at what we do and how we act and the works and the things that we we find valuable and the things that we give money into and the things that we put our efforts into. That's why I asked, what did you think about last night? Is it valuable? Do you understand its value? Because it's something we need to do to, to break from that static friction to be moving forward. Another thing we need to do is think about what we're doing here. And think about our culture. How many people have you invited to our Sunday night service? I've invited a bunch. In fact, I've lost count. How many, of, how many of you have heard this? Well, when are you going to start a Sunday morning service? Or how many of you have tried to tell people where this is and they're like, the vineyard? I, th I thought you were the way. That's the two things I hear more often than any other. Because in our culture, in our context, what we're doing does not make sense. It's, it's almost like we're speaking a different language. So one of the things we need to do and we need to think about is prayerfully looking at, at moving out of this, not moving too fast, not stepping ahead, not making it happen, looking for where God's going to open the door for us to something we can afford, something that's not going to, to ruin us financially. Because, I mean, sure, we could go in and make some kind of crazy deal that suddenly we can't pay for that, that, that's going to make us look like a bunch of... Uh, a bunch of rear ends, you know, and, and, well, that's what Christian people do. They just don't take care of their bills. No, we can't do that. But we, we, we've got to be looking at it. We've got to be looking forward. But then there's one other thing, one other strategy that I've been struck with that, that I have been challenged with from multiple directions. In fact, this is the thing that I think God has really been working on me over the last several months. And it's something that I knew needed to be done way at the beginning. And probably you guys will pay for that because I should have started it way back at the beginning, but I didn't. And so now we're playing catch-up, and you'll just deal with the consequences, and I'll just have to shove it down your throats that much harder and that much faster. No, I'm just kidding. It's, it won't work that way. But, but the reality is I've known that this was supposed to happen. I've known it's something I needed to pay attention to and I needed to focus on. 
But over the last several months, man, I've been challenged. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, is this final strategy that I believe will help us move from sitting still, from, from, from sitting still with static friction to seeing us moving forward. And I think, that's, I think this is the key. Not because it's going to grow a big church, not because it's going to... Um, not, not because it's the secret method of church growth, but because I think that ultimately this is, this is the key in every church, in every part of church. It's, it's more important in my mind really than the buildings, and it's more important in my mind than the ideas about how to engage culture. Not that we shouldn't be going, not that we shouldn't be telling, but if we're not doing this, then I don't think there's going to be anybody going and I don't think there's going to be anybody telling. But I want to be honest and I want to be repentant in front of you guys because I think that that is the, I think that that is the environment that we need to, to, to just build. I don't ever want to stand before you and, and, and make an, an attempt to, to make people believe that I'm holier than thou or more righteous Man, I got, I got problems, man. I get tempted. I, I struggle. And as I think about this, the easiest place for me to begin struggling is, is, is the, the question about numbers. It's always about numbers. Honestly. And it, as I tell you this, I want you to know it's not something that, that I think is, is uh, it's not winning. There's no, it has no chance of victory, I don't think. I don't think I'm going to fall to it. But I would ask you to pray for that. But here's some of the reasons why that I think I struggle with that, that idea. And ultimately, it comes from some of the statistics I shared with you. Now, I'll just share them right now. Churches over 15 years of age win an average of three people per year every hundred church, for every hundred church members. So that would translate to a thousand. If you had a church of a thousand people, that would translate to 30 people in a year. If you had a church of 100, you'd have 10 people won to Christ in a year on average. Churches 3 to 15 years of age win an average of 5 people per year for every 100 church members. That would mean like a, a church of 1,000 would translate to 50 people, or a church of 100 would relate to, obviously, 5 people. Churches under 3 years of age win an average of 10 people to Christ per year for every 100 church members. So a church of a thousand would win a hundred, or a church of a hundred would win ten. So obviously, the statistics show that the average church plant grows faster based not on conversion, or no, I'm sorry, based not on transfer growth from people outside, or boy, I'm going to just ruin this. People from other churches coming into the church, but they're growing based on conversion growth. People that are lost who don't know Jesus, are saved, and they're connected to the church, and they're being discipled and being raised up. That's the statistics. And the question that rocks my mind and just is constantly gnawing at me. I've got this vision. God's given me this, this direction to go. He's, he's given me all of these ideas... Why haven't we reached anyone? That's the question that rolls around in my head. But it always ties back to some idea about numbers. 
Like I said, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to get your pity or your... I, I, I say that because I, I want to be repentant before you. That is not my focus most days of the week. But to say it's not a struggle would be a lie too. But what he's impressed upon me over the last few months, I believe, needs to be our focus. It needs to be our church growth strategy. It needs to be the method. Because if it's not, then the vision that I shared, then the idea of getting a building, it's really for nothing. So let me just break it down for you. It's going to be from 2 Timothy chapter 2. And we won't be here all that long, but, but I just want to share with you some verses. Paul has sent Tim, Timothy one other letter. He's sending this letter now just to, just to um, help Timothy with, a, with some other situations to encourage him. Ultimately, if, you'll, if, if you know a little bit about their history, is that Paul and Timothy served together. And actually, Paul refers to Timothy in such a way that it would make us believe that Timothy was converted to Christianity under Paul's teaching. calls him his son. And so ultimately, as, as we look at this, we understand that Paul has this great affinity for Timothy. I, I want you just to imagine how you look to the man or woman that led you to Christ and how you think of them. Because that's likely how Timothy looks to Paul. And if you've led someone to Christ, I want you to think about how you feel about that person. And how connected you might be. Well, their relationship went beyond just, hey, I I saw you converted. It it grew to, now they're in ministry together. Timothy's in Ephesus. Paul's chained up. He's in in Rome, uh, chained up in in, in prison. Uh, This is probably the last letter that he wrote. But as he comes to this, he challenges Timothy with some things that, that I take to heart, that I find challenging, but also encouraging. And as you guys, as the, the, the true heart and core of this church and what we'll become, ultimately, I'm going to challenge you with them and hope that you're encouraged as well. I'm going to read through verse 10. It'll be verses 1 through 10. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you have heard from me, or heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all this. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, raised from the dead, descending from David. This is my gospel for which I'm suffering, <clears throat> even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. In my mind, as I think about what Paul was trying to get to Timothy, and Paul is writing to Timothy probably the last letter he ever wrote. And in my mind's eye, Paul is giving Timothy, hey, this is it. This is, this is what we need to be doing. 
Don't, don't get sidetracked with all the other things. Don't, don't get waylaid by all the troubles and the trials and the tribulations. Pay attention to these things. Pay attention. He says first to him, he says, be strong in Christ Jesus. You know, <laughs> it's so easy to think that our strength comes from, well, I'm just, I, I got these broad shoulders and I can carry any kind of weight and, or, or I'm psychologically, I'm just a steady guy. Our strength does not come from who we are. Our strength comes from the grace in Christ Jesus. We measure this grace based on how it makes us feel and, 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 and how good things are going for us. We, we measure this grace. Well, we're, we're, we're experiencing God's grace if, if things are going the way that we want them to. And I think that that's a sad mistake. You see, the, the, the world looks at, at, at its circumstances and the things that are going on and, and they, 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 they envision that God has just totally disconnected from the world, that, that, that God is no longer working here, that He doesn't care or that He doesn't exist. But it's a sad mistake. I, should, I, I heard a pastor not too long ago, and I, I've tried to, I've racked my brain to try and remember who this is. But, but I heard this pastor speaking about this, and the, the story that illustrates this perfectly. He saw his daughter running out into the street to grab something. As she's running, she's running away right out into the street. He looks down the street and sees a van coming down the road. He shouts at her. She doesn't respond. She keeps running. He shouts at her again and begins to run. She doesn't listen. She just keeps running. Imagine being the parent who's looking at their child about to run into the road. You're going to do whatever it takes to get them. He reached out at the last second and was able to grab her, but he grabbed her by her hair. You think that felt good? No. But what if he had said, I don't want to hurt her? What if he didn't love her enough to grab her by the hair? You see, God allows these things in our life. In many instances, He allows us to experience these things in our life, not because He doesn't love us, and not because His goodness is not true and real, but because He's keeping us from something far greater and far worse. That's, that's His grace at work. That's what, that's what He does, and that's the work that He does. Do you think that she got up and said, Daddy, you should have just let me go? But how often do we do that? But see, then there's another side of this perspective. There's a, a completely wet, different way to look at this. That's, that's the way of looking at it from a position of, I just don't enjoy the troubles and trials of life. How can I find strength and a grace from a God that doesn't really seem to be working? But see, I think tonight I'm probably speaking to people that knows that that's not totally true. I think there's another perspective from which we can look at this. And I think it's a perspective that's more like Paul's. You see, Paul was sitting in a, in a prison. He's chained to a stinking wall. And he says, I will endure anything. You see, he's going at this. He's looking at this as I can charge into any situation. I can run into any situation. We sang the words tonight, who do we have to fear? If God is really with us, who do we have to fear? Only Him. Only Him. How, how many times have you been afraid to share your faith? Man. I hate to admit it, but it's true. How many times have, have you been afraid to speak truth 
when you've hurt another Christian, obviously mistaken. I don't want to be offensive. I don't want to be controversial. If it's truth, if it's from God, it needs to be spoken. We need to charge those hills. We need to be ready to be in, in, in the midst of that battle, knowing, 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 knowing that we're not alone, that He's with us. Knowing without a doubt that He's at work and finding strength Finding strength. I, I just want you to think about that. I, I don't know what it takes to run a marathon. You've run a long way. Was it a full marathon? What's it take to run a marathon? It's not easy. But you know what? That's what we've got to be ready to do. Finding strength in that run. Finding strength in that battle. Finding strength even when we don't see the crop coming the way we would expect it. Finding strength in the grace of Christ Jesus. Did you notice that He referred to the soldier? He referred to the runner? And He referred to the farmer? Finding strength to go to war. Finding strength to endure the run. Finding strength to wait on the crop. But he doesn't tell him to sit and do nothing, does he? He gave him a very specific, very specific instruction. He says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Boom! The bomb goes off in my head. I've heard this passage preached by I don't know how many different preachers now in the, just the last three months. I've, I've lost count. But as I evaluate where we're at, we've got people with heart, we've got people with with, with a desire to do what we're being called to do. There's a vision, a direction. There is, um, well, and there's things happening. People are growing. This is where I think it begins to fall apart. Do I stand up and teach every Sunday? Absolutely. Do I hope that you're being spoken to through my preaching? Absolutely. But just like you're not going to find family built in one hour a week on Sunday as you sit facing one person, I don't believe I can see you discipled as completely as you need to be in one hour a week on Sunday. I don't think that I can see leaders raised up to lead in different ways if I'm not seeing them discipled and taught. You know, the sermon does one. It, 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 it's, it's very powerful and, it, and it's one form of teaching. But it's not the only one that can take place. Right now, we have a community group and we have our children's department and we have this. 
And I'm going to put two people on the spot. I didn't tell them I was going to do this, and I didn't plan on doing this until just now. But had you ever thought about being a community group leader and what that would mean? Do you even feel like you're equipped right now to do it? Okay. Have you ever thought about leading a children's department? You've got an education to, to educate children, but you never thought about it. And I, I, I've even heard you say, and, and I, I'm going to say this for her because I don't want to make her talk too much, but I've even heard her say, I know how to teach kids, but it's different when it comes to church. Maybe I've paraphrased that loosely, but that's about what it meant. I'm going to tell you, and, I, and once again, that falls squarely with me. And I've taken full responsibility for it. But I'm going to tell you that I'm going to call you to make it different. I'm going to call you to come along with me as we make it different. I've got the, I've got the materials. I've got curriculum. I've found all the stuff. And I have been timid in asking people to give up more time to be trained. But I was struck with something, especially this last week. It's been happening over and over. <laughs> the way this was put and, and the way it came to me, I, I don't know if he intended to say this to me. In fact, I don't know that he was even talking directly to me. There was a couple of us there. But the way it came to me, I realized that if I can plant this church and I can see these things done and I'm standing out there all by myself, not that people aren't helping, boy, please don't hear me, but in my mind's eye, I'm giving it all and I'm the one sacrificing everything, then I've just bought myself a crown. I'm not loving you enough to call you or to, to let you go. I, I, I'm not loving you and by not being forward enough to step up and say, if you're going to lead in a ministry, we need to train you. We need to equip you. If you're going to lead in a community group, we need to lead you and train you. And, and even with Jackson, I just started this just recently. If you're going to lead in worship, We've got to train you and equip you. This, this, I think, is really what's going to make the rest of all that happen. You want to know why? Well, let me, let me just go back to Scripture and, and, and break it out from there. He says, and the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to what? Enjoy the teaching? Learn it? Feel good about it? To do what? To teach others. As we move forward as we look for our own building, as we think about how we might engage the culture, I'm not the only one called to teach and I'm not the only one called to lead. And as I think about our small core group, I can't help but imagine that each of the adults in here are in some way a leader. And so I'm very glad tonight that it's just us 
so that I can say that. Because I'm going to call you all. I'm going to send an email this week. I'm going to challenge you all to begin a discipleship program with me that will begin to build the foundations. I'm just going to tell you it's a two-year program. And you're going to learn things if you'll go through it with me. You'll learn things that you may have never expected to learn. You'll learn words like soteriology. And maybe you know what that means today. Maybe you don't. You'll, 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 you'll learn the difference between uh, Calvinism and Arminianism. You'll learn the difference between um, uh, dispensational covenant and, and, and uh, replacement theology. And right now, that means absolutely nothing to you, maybe. Maybe you know what those things are. But I'll tell you why I think it's important that we learn them. Because we're the ones that are going to be teaching the others. And if I don't teach you to teach them, then I'm not doing what I've been called to do. You see, the value in gathering a core and, and seeing more resources, I, I think there's great value in that. But I also don't think we're supposed to wait and begin to reach people until that core is gathered. I think we should be talking to people. I think we should be engaging our community and our culture right now with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you all know that or you wouldn't be believers. But over time, we're going to need people to step up. And we're going to need, to pe- we're going to need people other than myself to teach those who come along. You see, that, that, as you learn and are able to begin to, to reproduce it and speak it back to other people, that's the movement of the Gospel. That's one person bringing it to another person, bringing it to another person, bringing it to another person to the point that you can't fit in one building anymore and then you split out to make two. And then those people step out over here and they see this culture and they look for the ways to engage them and they're continuing to build and teach one another so that others can be, come in and be taught. For most of our lives, we sat in church and thought the preacher's the one supposed to know the theology. The preacher's the one supposed to know those big fancy words. And maybe you don't need to know the big fancy words, but the reality is you need to know the truth behind the big fancy words. The program that I found is extremely solid. They present all sides. I'm, I'm, I, if you've heard me speak long or talk long, you know that I lean more towards the Reformed or Calvinistic viewpoints, but I'm not out to make you any one certain thing. Because I don't believe you have to be Christian to be... I, I don't think you have to fit into that mold to be Christian. This program will present all sides of, the, all sides of it. It will teach you to, to read the Bible and study it and learn from it and understand who God is and how He works in, 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 in ways maybe deeper than you've ever planned to go, maybe wanted to go. But I, I think what it will do more than anything is it will prepare every person in this room, young and old, to begin to speak with confidence about what they believe and who they believe in. And so I've taken on a different picture of my role in this. 
<clears throat> and I'm setting my own desires for glory aside, and I try to do that at every chance and at every, at every instance, but the reality is God didn't bring you into this to watch me get up and shout about Jesus every week, although that's part of it, but He brought you into this, I believe, for a very specific purpose. That's to be taught and then turn and teach. Maybe that doesn't mean teaching in a community group. Maybe that doesn't mean picking curriculum for a children's department, but, but still turning and speaking to people who need to hear about Jesus. One of, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons people don't share their faith, one of the biggest excuses we use, is what if they ask a question I don't know? That's not even really a good excuse, but what if they ask a question I don't know? I want to take that excuse away from us. I want to take away the excuse of fear. I want to take away the excuse of, uh, uh, of not knowing enough. So I'm going to do what I can to teach so that you can turn and teach. Now remember, this, 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 <laughs> this strategy, this idea, it's really not my own. It's just been something that God has worked on me over and over and over again. But it's, it's just super simple. Well, what if, what if that doesn't work? What if that thing doesn't begin to get us, get us seeing growth? What if that thing isn't what, what begins to, to, to make this church grow and we see numbers come into this church that we get to see that happening and seeing people baptized and seeing people worship Jesus? Well, what if that's not what does it? Well, if that doesn't do it, I don't know what's going to. But this, I hope, will encourage you and help you to hang on. As he comes to this to the to the next few verses, he's talked about being a soldier who stays focused and on task. He 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 speaks about a runner who's in training, and he speaks about a farmer who does who who tills the field, who who plants the seed, who does all the work, but has no control over what kind of crop comes. You, you see, do you, do you, do you, do you see the picture he's presenting? What's the purpose of a soldier? to fight, to go to war. What's he doing until he goes to war? I served six years and I never went to war once. You train. He, he talked about a runner. What does a runner do? Gets ready to run. When you're not in the race, you're getting ready to race. I heard just yesterday, uh, Michael Phelps was, I don't know, it was, maybe it was two days ago, I don't remember. I think it was yesterday. Michael Phelps was, was about to swim again. It's been like the first time he swam since the, the Olympics in China. And, and uh, the commentators were saying, we don't think he'll perform as well because he's taken so much time off. Because the reality is, is when you don't train, you're just not as prepared. Well, then he ends up swimming like crazy and blowing them all out of the water. But the reality is, is that every, every expectation of a person who competes in sports like that is that they have to train to stay at the top of their game. 
What about the farmer? Does he train? He may not train, but he sure puts in a lot of preparation. There's a lot of work that goes in before the first seeds ever put in the ground. There's a lot of work that goes in before the first ear of corn is picked off the stock. And the reality is, and I love the way he puts this in this phrase, is that he doesn't say that the farmer is the first that will get the crop. He just says the farmer is the first that ought to get the crop. See, the farmer has no control over what crop comes. The farmer just goes about doing his work. So I want you to see this. I'm going to teach. I'm going to call you to learn with me. You're going to turn and you're going to begin to teach. And what crop comes? I don't know. But what were we called to do? To do the work. To be ready. To be prepared. To train. You see the, you see the cycle? God's in control of the crop that comes. We're in control. We're called to do the training. We're called to be prepared. We're called to do the work. He's the one that brings the crop. But what if this doesn't do it? What if, what if it still doesn't get it? I see where you're going, Seth. I see what you want to do. I see what you're saying. But what if it doesn't do it? Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, no matter what comes, no matter what the crop looks like, no matter if it's the people group that we set out to reach or not, no matter what comes of it, don't forget Jesus Christ resurrected. Don't forget Jesus Christ resurrected because that's really what our focus is to be. Don't forget that He came into this world, that He was killed for what He stood for and what He taught. He was the one that, that went into this war headlong, that ran right into the face of it, that spoke truth to a culture that didn't want anything to do with Him. And then they killed Him for it, but He rose from the grave and He has overcome. And don't forget it. Don't forget Him because when He overcame, He paved the way for you and for me to overcome. And we may never see one person, one other person sitting in this room with us, although I don't think that's true. We can do this work. And we can hang on to the end. And we can overcome because He overcame. Don't forget Jesus Christ. Not crucified. Resurrected. In His glory and in His power. Ruling, sitting on a throne loving people, demonstrating His grace and His goodness. Don't forget Jesus Christ. And I want you to hear and see the position in which Paul is sitting as he writes these words, chained in probably inches of feces as a criminal. That doesn't add up. He's chained. It looks like he lost. He didn't lose because he remembered Jesus Christ resurrected. And even as he was chained and he couldn't go any further, the very next phrase says, God's word's never chained. God's word is never chained. Even when it doesn't look like we're winning, 
God's Word is winning. And it will win. So the next time you feel afraid, the next time you feel like, well, I just don't have the answers. The next time you think, I can't do this. Remember Jesus Christ resurrected. And run headlong into the spiritual war. Do the training of the runner. It's not going to be easy. I'm going to ask you to give up hours and hours and hours of your time to learn this stuff. It's a two-year program. It's not going to be tomorrow, all of a sudden you're a theologian. But at the end of it, I believe you'll see strong, solid believers who love Jesus Christ more and who have no reason and who, who are willing, who are willing to run into that war. Who are willing to endure. Who are willing to do all the work not knowing whether that crop's going to be taken at the last minute or not. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just... God, I pray for Your grace and Your mercy. I pray for Your strength. And I pray that each person sitting in this room tonight, Father, that they will be moved to learn so that they can turn and teach. I think about who it is that You've brought into this core and who's been here for this time and, and who has who has committed so much. I just think about what You could do through them. We're just a bunch of fishermen and farmers in all reality. What could You do through us, Father? I pray that You'll teach us that You'll strengthen us. That You'll remind us constantly that You have overcome and that You'll enable us. Just thank You. Thank You for this opportunity for what You're going to do. And so all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.